My name is Keith Beavers, and being really bad at tongue twisters is just odd because when somebody's good at it and they do it, and you're like, okay, so like you're better than me? What's going on, wine lovers? Welcome to episode four of Vine Parents Wine 101 podcast. My name is Keith Beavers. I am the tasting director of Vine Pair at Vine Pair Keith on Insta. How are you doing? You know what? How? I mean, is it is it intimidating when you walk into a wine shop? Like, how do you even you walk in the door? Like, what's next? Let's talk about some real world applications here, people. The wine shop. Navigate it. Jay Gallo Winery is excited to sponsor this episode of Vine Pairs Wine 101. Gallo always welcomes new friends to wine with an amazing wide range of favorites ranging from everyday to luxury and sparkling wines. I mean, Gallo also makes award-winning spirits, but you know, this is a wine podcast. So whether you're new to wine or an aficionado, Gallo welcomes you to wine. We look forward to serving you enjoyment in moments that matter. Cheers. Okay. So, it's time for some real-world application stuff here at Wine 101, Wine Lovers. It's, it's not, you know, I think part of wine education, beyond the stuff that we've been talking about for the past two and a half seasons here, is how do you actually access the thing we're talking about, you know? Do you guys do e-commerce? Or do you do wine shops? Oh gosh, wine shops. Like, what's it like to be a wine lover and want to always know and learn more and then walk into a wine shop with excitement? Like, I'm going to go to a wine shop, I'm going to get a wine for tonight. You walk into the wine shop, you're like, oh my God, what do I do? It's also a question I get a lot outside of the you know, just sort of like curriculum style wine education. Like, Keith, what do I do when I go to a wine shop? How do I even navigate this place? Well, let's, let's, let's talk about it, guys. I mean, I had a wine shop for a while. I tried really, really hard to make it as easy as possible for people to get wine. And I had the wine shop for about seven years or so. So I'm just going to like, I'm going to riff. I'm going to riff on the things that I learned, the things that I liked, the things that I like to see when I'm around, because once you own a wine shop, you can't unsee things when you go into wine shops. So let's get down to it. First things first, if you feel like wine shops are intimidating, you don't have to. It's a wine shop. It's a shop that sells a product. There are, it's somebody who wants to sell something to you, and they should be happy that you're there, number one. They should be happy to help you. And they should be willing to work with you until you're ready to purchase like they would, like you would in any other shop. Now, ideally, you're, you, you're a wine lover. You want to know more. You're ready to explore. You're on a journey. I'm not sure where you are on your journey, but you're on a journey. And usually the smaller, more focused wine shops will help you on that journey, help you explore more, go east, west, north, south, wherever you want to go. They, they're there to help you. And I know that's not easy to do. I was reading an article from 2016 in the New York Times where Eric Asimov stated that 30% of retail wine sold in the United States is in supermarkets across at least 35 states. 
and that's fine. And I'm going to talk about supermarket wine in, in, in a little bit, but I want to talk about when you find that shop. Let's say you find a wine shop and you want it to be your wine shop. When you walk in there, what are some things that are going to make your buying experience or your wine buying experience awesome? First thing you want to do when you walk into a wine shop, if you're feeling intimidated, just take a deep breath. It's totally cool. It's just a wine shop. This is going to be fun. This is your place. This is the place where you're going to learn more about wine after you've listened to Wine 101, obviously. (laughs) Before you even look at a bottle, you can get a sense of the vibe of a wine shop based on just the temperature of the place. Because wine is sensitive to two things, temperature and sunlight. So if there are wine bottles sitting in a window with the glaring sun on it and they're full and for sale, that's not a good thing. If it's too hot or, well, if it's too cold, it's not a big deal. But if it's too warm in there, those bottles are cooking for quite amount of time, for a long period of time. And you're not guaranteed a bad bottle, but there's a good chance or the odds are better that a cooked wine will be experienced than if, you know, the temperature was better. I mean, these are kind of nitpicky things, but, you know, it's something to, you know, observe. The next thing you can do to get kind of comfortable in the space is to get a sense of how the shop is organized. Again, before even looking at a bottle and you can just figure this out yourself or you can ask, if you're a person that likes to ask questions, just ask, hey, how does this shop organize? But if you don't, there are just, I would say endless ways people can organize wine shops. And I say that because as new wine shops open every year, someone's trying to do something a little bit different. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but that's not really the point here. The point is to understand what is actually happening, whether it works or not. A lot of wine shops and the traditional way of organizing a wine shop would be by geography. And that really helps people out because even though wine can be confusing, at least you have a geographical area in which you can focus on. But not every wine shop is like that. Some wine shops are more about, here's the Chardonnay section, here's the Cabernet Sauvignon section, and you kind of have to work with somebody to see where the Chardonnays are from, which one you like, and which one you want to bring home with you. Sometimes wine shops are based on sensory, like aromas, berries, red berries, you know, all vanilla, that kind of stuff. And there's also wine shops that do the full to light body. So you'll see a white wine section. It'll say Chardonnay. Let's stick with Chardonnay. Light Chardonnays to full Chardonnays. And again, that requires a a different kind of conversation with the merchant than if you were just walking to a shop with geographical area. And some wine shops will be geographical, but if they know that certain varieties are popular, like Cabernet Sauvignon, Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, Malbec, and Sauvignon Blanc and stuff like that, they may actually have geographical organization with sections of Cabernet specifically just to kind of beeline your eyes to where you want to go because they're so popular, those varieties. And once you're comfortable with the vibe and once you get a sense of how the wine shop is organized, you're basically ready to go. If you go into the wine shop knowing what you're looking for, having an idea of what you're looking for, you get it, you know how it's organized, you go to the area of the shop that you're interested in, you call somebody over to help you and you have a conversation with them and hopefully by the time you're done with that conversation, you walk home with a bottle that you enjoy. Also with wine, you are allowed to be upfront with the amount of money you want to spend. It doesn't really matter. There's, a, there's great wine in all different price points. So go in there, find your section, get some help and be like, look, I want something under 40 bucks. Let's do this. And the wine merchant, you might vibe with the wine merchant and they may talk you into a little bit more or 
this is your wine shop. They taught, they give you what you want. And then you can keep coming back to that wine shop and work your price points up because you trust them. And once you trust them, it's on. There are things you can do at wine shops that once you find your shop will help you further your experience in wine and your journey going forward. Because Small wine shops are community-based. They're never going to be big and expand and franchise. They're for you. They're a neighborhood wine shop. And they want to get to know you as well. And there's a lot of things that wine shops do to do that. And they're not only getting to know you and your palate, but you're getting to know them, creating a safe space. And this is why wine is so much fun. One very easy thing you can do is start attending their in-store wine tastings. In-store wine tastings are awesome. They'll either have a wine rep, somebody who's actually selling the wine, who's very well versed in the wine, or if the wine merchant is versed in the wine, they'll do it themselves. But this is a really, really good chance to try things you may not have tried before or wines of the same variety that you can try that's different from the one you've been drinking. (laughs) And the cool thing about in-store tastings is they're communal. There's a bunch of people around you. You can bounce ideas off of people when you're talking and sipping. Also, you don't have to buy the wine that's, that you're tasting. It's just there to taste and, and, and experience. If it's like, you're like, eh, I don't like this wine, then you don't have to buy it. But it's a way for you to get your palate trained on what you like. Another good thing is if the store has a weekly or monthly newsletter, definitely sign up for that because wine merchants like to put sales and deals and promo codes and all kinds of cool stuff into newsletters. And if the wine shop is a real nerdy wine shop, which they often are, the newsletters, the newsletters will be rich in information about wines as well. If they're trying to promote a wine, they're going to tell you all about it. You get a chance to go in there and grab it before it's gone, and you can have even further conversations about the wine when you get there to buy the wine. Very cool. And I know newsletters can be annoying, right? We all get newsletters, but a wine newsletter is kind of a fun newsletter. And if you don't want to do the newsletter, a lot of, and maybe maybe they don't have a newsletter, but a lot of wine shops have an Instagram account. I think almost every wine shop probably should have an Instagram account. And a lot of them use Instagram to feature wines that are just getting in. You can even have like a wine merchant literally taking wine out of a box to put on a shelf, taking a photo of it so that you know it's there and you can go grab it right away. Another really great thing about small community-based wine shops is they always like to track your purchases. So sometimes wine shops will have a loyalty program. Let's say you go in after you buy like 10 bottles or 12 bottles or something like that, you get a discount on your next bottle. Whatever the, the deal is, is pretty cool. And in addition to that, they've tracked your purchases. So you can come in a month later and say, yo, I had this wine back in January. It was awesome. It was white. What was it? I want it again or something like it. They can pull it up immediately. And there's really you know no stress. You're going right to the wine you want because of the idea you had when you came to the wine shop. Another advantage to finding a wine shop that you trust is to take advantage of whatever bundles they put together. Sometimes wine shops during holidays will say, hey, if you're having a turkey dinner, you know, these are the wines, here's a package of five, six, three, five, six, whatever wines that will help pair with whatever you're doing or whatever the occasion is. If wine shops are, if it's someone you trust, go for those things. They're working, they're literally, they're thinking about it. Like these are the four wines we think best for a Thanksgiving dinner. And if you're not sure and you don't want, and you don't know how to make a decision, it's right there for you. Always awesome to take advantage of. And if you're lucky enough to live in a state that allows a wine shop to also be a wine bar, I mean, forget about it. 
everything, try all of it, everything, all the time. <laughs> if they have wine flights, if they have cheese and wine pairings, whatever they're doing, always try it because that's great. You can even buy a bottle of wine, pay a corkage fee, and have immediate satisfaction going over and popping the bottle, hanging out, ordering a plate of cheese or something. Like, that's awesome. And often, if they're featuring a certain wine, they're really wanting you to get into it. So if you, you know, you go there, you try the wine, you buy it, you drink it there, that's a safe place as well. It's fun. You can actually interact with the people that are buying the same bottle. It's all like symbiotic, you know what I mean? But wine shops are places you can ask any question you want to ask. No question is stupid. They're there to help you out. They're here to make you feel comfortable in buying wine. They want you to come back. And the thing about wine shops like this is they're not perfect. They're not going to find the perfect pairing for you all the time. But if you trust them, you can always go back and have conversations with them and get to where you want to be. I had a customer once that would pick a section of the wine shop, a geographical section, and they would come back over and over just understanding that area. They wanted to understand Tuscany. So they just wanted to go through and try all the places from Tuscany that I had on my wine shelf. And when we got, I remember when it all ended, they finished the Tuscan shelf. We went to Sicily. It was very cool. And not every wine that they bought in the Tuscan section was their jam, but they appreciated them and were able to figure out what Tuscan wines they liked. They actually started to understand Tuscany just going through that section. But not all areas of the U.S. have small little community wine shops. The thing about the Volstead Act we talked about in the last episode, Prohibition and all that, when, when the Volstead Act was repealed in 1933, one of the unfortunate things about that was the government gave every state, every county, and every township its own ability to regulate their own liquor laws. That's crazy because now every state and township and county in our country decides what they want to do individually with their laws, making it much harder for us to open wine shops, send wine to people because of different delivery laws. It's, it's insanity. And I don't know if it's ever going to be fixed. So if we, if you are in a place that doesn't have a community wine shop and you have a supermarket, you're going to be fine. It's going to be great. There's great wines in supermarkets as well. If you're somebody that wants to go beyond the brands, because let's be honest, when you're going to a wine, a supermarket, that's Brandville. When you're the, the wine aisle, these are wines. There's a lot of them being made and they're, they're branding to you. They're trying to be visually appealing and that's what they're going for. And the thing about a selection in a supermarket, it's big and it's overwhelming and honest, you know, but it's very clearly marked. Absolutely. Like this is Cabernet, this is Chardonnay, this is that. And you can walk your way through these sections and try this and try that for $5, $12, $30. You're actually going to re recognize a lot of the brands just because you'll see them in advertising around. But if you want to, here's a little trick that I have. And it doesn't always work, but it's a kind of a cool trick. If you're in a wine shop, if you're in a supermarket and you want something that's not a brand, the, the cool thing to do is go to the European section. Europe has these things called co-ops, and it's a really great way for us to enjoy European wine at a lower price. A co-op is basically, just I'm going to totally generalize this, it's a big building and a winemaking facility. And then there's winemaker or there's, there's vine growers around this big building, and they all ship grapes into the big facility, and they all pay to make wine in this one big facility. What that does is it affords a winemaker or a vine grower, winemaker, 
a way to make wine without investing a bunch of money in wine making equipment. They're just paying, I guess, kind of rent or membership fee. And because of that, the amount of wine that's being made in these things are kind of big or a lot. And the price when it gets to the United States is less. So there's a really good chance if you're in a supermarket and you're looking for an Italian wine, an Austrian wine, a French wine, you're going to find wines that are often, the ones that are affordable, that are often made in co-ops. And there's co-ops are great. Back in the day after the Depression and the, and the wars, co-ops were a little bit rough. They, were, they, were, they weren't funded by the EU or anything like that, and the equipment was bad. It was a rough time. The wine wasn't the greatest. But now that the EU has taken over and they subsidize these co-ops, it's awesome. And the quality is, is improved and the attention to detail is improved. So you're often going to get a good, affordable Pinot Grigio or a Nero Davola from Sicily or a Chianti or something like that. And it's going to be like 20 or 30 bucks and it's, or even $15. And it's going to be good European wine. It's a little trick that I have. I mean... Don't, you know, don't, you know, don't get it twisted. I mean, there's a great, like, Louis M. Martini is great Cabernet Sauvignon. They're a legacy winery from Napa, and they're still making wine today, and you can find it pretty much anywhere. Stag's Leap, very, very famous California winemaker. They have an entry-level wine, and they have the higher-end wine, but those are all sold in supermarkets. And here's something that, this is something, hey, America, here's something very cool. Hey, American wine drinkers, here's something really great. We have in this country... One of the best sparkling wines on the domestic market that is affordable. Yeah, it's called Gruet. I mentioned them in the last episode. They're in Alba, just outside of Albuquerque, New Mexico. They're from Champagne. They make quality, affordable, sparkling wine. Yeah, here I am again doing it. American sparklers. I'm trying to get that trademark. Does anyone want to help me out? I want to call sparkling wine from America American sparklers. We don't have to call it champagne or anything like that. It's called American sparklers. I don't know if anyone's going to get into that. Anyway, there's always something to be had in a supermarket. It's not as easy to find because you don't get a lot of help. You're just going to hear, you know, you're, just, you're not going to get a lot of help. Just like, you know, clean up an aisle five. It's all you're going to hear. But in a pinch, there is something for you. So I hope this helped you guys out. You probably knew some of this stuff and maybe you didn't, but I just, what I wanted to do is I want to give you guys confidence in wine. You guys listen to Wine 101 because you love wine. And I want you to, I want you to feel like when you walk into a wine shop, it's like any other shop. You're there to do the thing that you love, buy wine and enjoy it when you get home. You can be like, I was listening to Wine 101 and Keith was talking about this place in southern France called Languedoc Roussillon. He was really vibing on this stuff. There's an episode coming out this season. And I'd like to try what he was talking about. They'll be like, yo, man, we love Wine 101. That's a great idea. Let's go to this Roussillon section and see what we can find for you. You guys ever heard of Minervois? You'll be like, yeah, Keith told us. Okay, maybe that won't happen. But still, I hope I give you guys some confidence. And let's talk next week. And Minervois is actually in Long Dog. We'll talk about it. Fine Pair Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pair. And I mean, big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pair, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. 
And I want to thank the entire Vine Pair staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week.